Hello everyone, welcome to the Breaking Uneven podcast. We love to talk shop, uncover the beauty of failures and play a few games. Today we have with us the founder of Mao Productions, which is Media on Wheels, um, Supriya Sopti Gupta. She graduated with a master's in media regulations and policy making from the London School of Economics and Political Science. She was a freelance journal- journalist across London, Mumbai, and Delhi, a documentary filmmaker and a local producer. She started Mao Productions and has directed and produced some incredible documentaries like Bad Boy Billionaires and Caught Out, which are on Netflix. Um, have we missed anything noteworthy from your journey so far? Um, I'd see another film that's very close to my heart, which is Mumbai Mafia. But thanks for that introduction anyway, Javi. I think you encapsulated a lot of what I've been doing for the past 15 years. Cool. So our first game is called the Twitter Pitch Challenge. Um, okay. Twitter is known for its 280 character limit on every tweet, which sometimes makes it a little difficult to convey your thoughts. Uh, we measured it and it takes about 20 seconds to speak 280 characters. We transfer right. this challenge to you to explain to us Mao Productions in 20 seconds, but it's not so easy. You also need to use one emoji and one tweet, uh, sorry, one hashtag in your tweet. All right. Okay, cool. Cool. So uh, let me know when you're ready and I will start your timer. Okay, let's do it. Cool. Three, two, one, go. Mount Productions is your go-to place where we tell you extraordinary stories of ordinary people uh, where we hashtag make it count. And emoji. Um, the emoji. Oh, big smile. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we do this again? Or you no, you were, you were on the 20 seconds. It was perfect. Okay, okay, super. Amazing. Um, it's funny how you said like, telling the stories of extra, uh, ordinary people in an like, extraordinary way. I think we also kind of imbibe that. Like we want to share like the great stories of everyone else. So um, yeah. similar, I guess, purpose. But um, to get started, Anuj and I also went to LSC. We did our undergrad um, and graduated in 2020. And you did your master's um, back in 2006. So just curious to know, like, how was your journey at LSC? Um, what was your experience like? Hey, the one thing I remember, um, well, I remember a lot of things about my time at the LSC, but I will tell you one story. I was in the library, the silent room, and it's the first time I grabbed myself some sushi. You know what follows, right? (laughs) And I looked at, um, you know, I looked at it and I was like, oh, this looks good. And I went for the kill with the wasabi. Right, because I was like, oh, wow, this looks like nice chutney. <laughs> and the rest is history. But I remember that night so well. It was the first night I was doing a quiet night in the library on my own. Uh, really excited. I can't even remember whether you were allowed to eat in there or not. But, you know, everyone would. Um, this late night, binging, all of that going on. Um, yeah, so I remember that time. But this is the year when uh, Monica Lewinsky was in my batch. She was in my SAT class. We, you know, we had statistics uh, and she yeah. was in that class. 
So it was like that famous batch and, you know, like, <laughs> a lot of stories going around. So it was, it was fun. It was a great time to be at the LSC. And uh, um, I did a little bit of um, radio. I was part of the student union, uh, you know, so I was doing some LSC radio stuff there, uh, something with the sports society. Uh, I just wanted to get a feel of what campus life is like, because, you know, I did my undergrad again at a university in London, which was the University of Westminster. Well, uh, and my campus was in Harrow. So it's funny, you know, when I, it, it was a great, it was a great place to do the course that I did with, which was journalism and media studies. Uh, and it was the top place at the time. And, and it worked really well for me because that's really where I found my first job, which was at the BBC. But the funny story there is I thought, oh, I'm going to London and, you know, it's going to be great. And then I realized I'm in zone four, you know, the back and beyond of central London. So from there to then go to the LSE was great. You know, you're in the heart of the action. Um, it's such an incredible university. It just comes with yeah. so much. And I think uh, it's what you draw from it. Uh, you know, it's just having the LSE tag isn't everything. It's just what you take away. And I... I think I made some good friendships. I learned a lot in the heart of London. So lots of memories of that great place. Okay, so you've technically only been in London for one year then because Harrow doesn't count. Yeah, <laughs> yes, in that sense. But I did stick on for longer. So I, I spent a couple more years after the LSE. But until then, yeah, you can say I was probably in barely in London. Yeah. Um, no, but Jen, like it definitely is though, like a really vast difference in terms of like living central and like starting working in zone one zone one versus um zone four just because um at least like I feel like whenever I go beyond like zone two and three it's very like country like even though the city uh, it feels like country like so because like the hustle in zone one is so much more like there are people like 24 7 around there's so much noise and like that yeah. kind, kind of reminds me of like Mumbai as well because originally I'm from Mumbai so um yeah yeah, but hey, Jandi, you know, uh, I mean, w when we're younger, we're all chasing that the fast life and living right in the center. Now, do you know, 10, 15 years on, if you ask me, my time in Harrow was gorgeous. You know, if I were to pick a place now, I'd probably want to stay there because it's lovely. My campus was beautiful, like a sprawling field at Northwick Park. And, um, you know, it, it, it's lovely. You always want what you can't have. So it's one of yeah. those things. But yeah, Central London has a charm. You feel like you're in London. You're in the heart of all the action. So that's all, always great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you said that you studied at University of Westminster and that's why you also did your media degree. Um, so yes. what was your journey like to become like a filmmaker? What inspired you? Was this something that you always wanted to do in like journalism? Um, journalism, yes. I always wanted to be a journalist. Uh, and the seed really for me was sown when I would watch a show called Hard Talk on the BBC, which is like a hardcore one-to-one -one investigative um, Q&A sort of a program where this uh, presenter, Tim Sebastian, would uh, sit across people in power from across the world and ask them the toughest questions ever uh, in the smartest and the brightest of ways. And just to watch him do that, you know, to hold people accountable for their actions, uh, to me was everything at that point in time. And I always looked at him and I thought, wow, this is what I want to do. But I am a first generation journalist, filmmaker. Uh, so nobody in my family is from the world of media at all. So when I said to my parents, I want to study media and I want to be a journalist, they 
literally fell off their chair like typical indian parents uh, you know like why would you do that why do you want to be a journalist you know why do you want to study journalism you can do anything in the world uh but i, I mean i yeah this is the one thing i knew i wanted to do and uh, if you asked me again would i do it i probably would do it all over again because it opened up a lot of things for me it gave me some of the best experiences in life um uh, made me who i am today um you know i i feel like the the experience i've had as a journalist traveling across our country uh is unparalleled i would have probably never been to the places that i have been because that's where my work took me uh and the best thing is i still don't think it's work you know for me every trip and every story that i do is exciting because there's so much learning in it uh you know and you're you're doing you're finding out on the go you're meeting people you're hearing about their experiences and there's nothing like getting to know people from anywhere in the world you know and uh even better if it's people around you yeah i think um what's what's quite evident here is that you know your journalistic background um and your and your uh that drive you have for journalism comes out in your productions as well right it's a bad boy billionaires is your way of calling out um the people that to a certain extent made a mark negatively for that matter on yeah. our country and is that i mean was is is your you know inspiration from heart talk what drove you towards that kind of uh, a production yeah i mean you know it is at the end of the day speaking truth to power uh, if you look at any of the films that i do um there is an element of public interest uh there are human interest stories uh a lot of it is about unraveling what's going wrong because that's really what the media is here for you know we are the fourth estate where the pillar of society you're meant to be a reflection you're meant to kind of uh you know help with accountability uh, and all of that is somewhere lost of course but we're fighting the big fight it is the big fight uh you know and uh i i i feel so as a journalist i used to make a lot of these documentaries for news networks i then started making them for ott platforms with ott platforms what's different is uh that you're of course reaching a wider audience but the audience is here primarily to be entertained they're not here looking for information or investigations as such you know so i get to, i get to do that when i work with a uh, a um a media outlet with a, a news network uh, i get to kind of really hone my journalistic skills and dive into subject matters and 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 find the truth dig out the truth uh with um you know the other films that i've been making for big streaming platforms it's reaching a wider audience and telling them something they may already know or something that's already in the public domain uh but uh, doing it in a visually interesting and telling way that you draw people in for the cinematic experience for the storytelling that you bring to the table um rather than the investigation no i i i fully understand what you mean because actually i don't because so the reason is i we i mean my company also does journalistic editorial content for ott platforms but that's from a very different lens it's like you know highlighting legends and advertising and stuff like that but mm. <clears throat> you know you've got a handful of documentaries uh you know chef stable street food asia bad boy billionaires mumbai mafia and now caught out of course and you've worked with netflix sky with no bbc one in my experience working with otts is quite difficult especially when it's such pointed content but what is your experience been 
especially when it's something like bad boy billionaire, which is, you know, it is set up certain political aspects to it and all of those things that can come into it as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, hey, the, the, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like that sort of content is, um, is controversial, right? It's highly litigious as well because you are speaking yeah. truths to power. These are people who have a battery of lawyers and can unleash at any point, you know, if you say something that they don't like uh, and then you spend the rest of your time trying to, you know, fight that or work that out in court. Uh, and we've had that experience before with some of the films that we've made. Uh, but over time, you kind of get better. You're more legally adept. You're more, you, you know, yeah. we, we, we've always followed and towed the line. And I feel like that's where my journalistic skills come into my filmmaking skills. Because um, I, I work in the nonfiction space. You know, I've so far, I've been able to stay rooted in the craft of nonfiction. I don't know which way the market's heading and I don't know which way things are going to tip um, because non, you know, because fiction is everything. If you look at the audience, everybody wants to kind of switch off when you come and watch your television. You want to watch something which has masala. You want to watch something that's entertaining. You want to watch something that's, you know, uh, gripping in a different way. I don't think there's a huge audience for documentaries in our country yet. I'm hoping that changes and, you know, that's, that's, that's another fight. Um, but the, the journalism comes into this because you realize there's a lot of, uh, you know, th there's a way to tell a story. There's the ethics of journalism that count when you're telling important stories like these, uh, because there are always two sides. And so it's about balancing the story. It's about giving the right to reply to somebody if you're, you know, if, if you're kind of muckraking or telling people what went wrong with someone, you've always got to go back to them and be able to tell them, hey, is there something you'd like to say about this? Because there is another side. And so, you know, we pay a lot of attention to these sort of things when we're making our films. Um, not everyone wants to come on and talk about stuff, you know, uh, because then it would give it a lot more credibility. So for example, with Caught Out, there was a massive conspiracy of silence from the cricketers. They've never come out to talk about match fixing, uh, you know, uh, and that's something even the CBI officers tell us. It's something they write about in their report is 25 years ago when they were doing, 20 odd years ago when they were doing the investigation and interrogating uh, players, there was a massive conspiracy of silence. So lots of things came out, lots didn't. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that prevails. So it's, it's, it's tough in that sense. Um, but things are changing. You know, the fact that we have CBI officers on record, you know, it's, it's a covert organization. CBI guys don't really tell you how things work and what they did and what it was like for them to be doing what they did at, at any point. Uh, but we did get, we got some really solid people to tell us what had happened and unearth the truth and relive that experience for us, you know, and that was the human interest story that we were able to bring out in court out. That what was it like for these guys who had the burden of investigating something as serious as match fixing and cricket, which, uh, you know, is, is a matter of grave public interest, but something that nobody wanted to know. Yeah, especially in like a country like ours, it's important, like cricket is essentially a religion. So exactly. when you go against that and like that's break the values of that, that's quite um, scary. Absolutely. And like not everyone wants to like be a part of the negative aspect at least not publicly say that they were part of the negative aspect that comes with it yeah. but um you mentioned the like so throughout it's initially I guess started with the love for journalism and uh eventually also moved to filmmaking so what was that transition like how did you go 
even though your journalism comes through your filmmaking but what was like how did it go from um from like being a tv presenter for example to it becoming making documentaries on these truly important topics so you know when you come from the world of news and current affairs everything is now we're in the oh, the moment yeah. of you know that breaking news cycle and i mean that's when i came into journalism when the breaking news cycle was at its peak in that sense you know everything is breaking yeah. news flashing on your tv so you really have to be the first to get it out you've got to be noticed your story then gets picked up by other people but having trained at the bbc you know you realize that it's not about breaking the story but it's about telling the right story and it's about verifying your sources um and that i feel like was my solid grounding with all the education that i had in the uk and the uh, on ground experience that i got you know working with the bbc working with al jazeera these are brilliant institutions in that sense because they train you um in in the best way possible you know uh and uh the transition was basically from telling a story in 2 hours or 2 weeks to then having maybe a year and a half two years to tell your story so you could then uh you know pay a lot of importance to how do you want to shoot it what should it look like what should your color palette be you know you get the best speakers on board you get the most articulate speakers on board that take you on a journey rather than get the most authentic voices closest to the story because even now you know there's a lot of people that know a lot of things uh but if they don't tell it in an entertaining way you've lost them you've lost the audience you know your people don't want to hear it because i'm not coming to a netflix or an amazon to watch somebody say something in a drabby slow way i want it to be yeah. slick i want it to kind of you know hit the nail um but if i'm doing it for a news channel i want to go to somebody who's the most authentic voice uh and telling me things as they unraveled in front of their eyes you know and uh um that's pretty much what the difference is and i don't always have the liberty to show you the best visuals but i i want to tell you the best story in the best manner possible so really that's how things work on the new side of things and that's how things are with the otts but that said you know i feel uh documentary storytelling documentary storytelling with news networks is pretty hard hitting because they tell you something you don't know which i find fascinating you know they tell you they're actually there to make a change um they're actually there to make an impact um whereas on the odt platforms i think you're there to start a conversation to reach out to a wider audience and i feel both are important you know uh, what caught out did um basically uh, you know is a retrospective film that looks at a match fixing scandal that happened in 2000 and much before but it made it relevant today because you have the wpl you know you have a fresh batch of women that have been inducted into cricket uh you'll always have new sportsmen and women being inducted to various fields and for them to know that if there's wrong doing in what they're doing uh you know it is going to get pulled up no matter how big you are and how mm-hmm. high you get uh you know if something is found out um there will be questions raised and so i feel that's so relevant and that's why it's like a good conversation starter um whereas a news channel would look for a current peg okay where is this has match fixing happened now like that's the way we can go into a story but here you can rake up an old issue and talk about it and make it relevant you know uh that that pretty much i would say is is how we differentiate how i differentiate the two yeah definitely and i think um you have the power of time right like there's no urgency to putting this out immediately so you have the power of 
uh, finding like yeah as you said the correct people the correct uh, story and like making sure there are no like assumptions made in the process but it's more legitimate in the entire uh, of like what you're producing and putting together but oh, um, God, yeah, yeah through, um, throughout your documentaries you've played like different roles of either being a director or a producer so I think um, for Caught Out you were a director and a producer but for Bad Boy Billionaires you were a producer so how does your role change from one to the other um, what, why be a director in one and just a producer in the other? Like, what was the reasoning? Um, you know, um, so Caught Out is my directorial debut for an OTT platform. I have presented and directed documentaries for news channels before, but it's a huge deal, you know, to be a director, um, on a film, which is about cricket, which is a male dominated sport you know heavily male dominated but to direct a film which has so many big boys talking about what went wrong meant so much to me um you know when I did and I also made it while I was pregnant with my twins so it's a huge deal it was a double triple whammy for me in that sense but um you know in non-fiction there's a very fine line between a director and a producer because a producer really brings the story together, finds you the people to interview, um, you know, just kind of looks at everything, you know, is the overall caretaker for that film to happen. Um, whereas the director is of course very important. It's a director's vision that counts, but uh, the director is also the captain of the ship. So, you know, you really take your whole team with you and you've kind of got to inspire them at every uh, moment. There are times where you go for an interview and you don't get what you're looking for. The interview is really drabby, but it's about keeping everyone really excited, focused on this is what we're after, this is what we're gunning for, this is how it should look. Um, and it's basically the, the director's vision that plays out. And the producer plays a very important role in having that, that vision play out, you know, because they're fueling your vision. So I might want to interview somebody as a director, but if my producer doesn't help me get that person, I might not have that person you know, um, but having donned uh, the role of a producer in some of the big documentaries, uh, you know, I kind of played that role as well in the film because if if something was not possible, you go all out to get it. You go all out to make it happen. And really, that's why I feel like there's a very fine line. Um, okay. But but yeah, you know, it's your vision. As a director, it's the vision that plays out. And <clears throat> which... which uh... Which position do you enjoy more? Is it director, producer, or producer, director? Hey, you know, if I have a really good director, then I'd love to be a producer because you want to fuel big things for people that can think out of the box. So, okay. I, I, you know, I, I'm very, it's all about learning, right? At the end of the day, um, I think these, these roles are important. We've had to work really hard to be recognized for what we're doing. You know, a lot of the times when we're working with international productions, we get um, uh, you know, we used to get called fixers. Um, and, you know, basically fixers are people that fix things for you and make things happen. But you don't realize that a fixer is actually your eyes and ears on the ground. The fixer is fueling that story for you. And so, you know, I, I kind of started having an issue with that term. And I would say to organizations and, and other co-productions and partners that, hey, if you're coming to us to work with you on a story, please give us the role of producers because we're making the story happen for yeah. you. You know, we're not fixing it for you. We're finding it for you. We're fueling it for you. And we're often coming and telling you, this is the story. So don't call us fixers. So it's been a big fight to do that. Um, it's not come easy, but that's also why, you know, I'm very, very careful about 
making sure everyone who works on my films gets recognized for their role because this is what you work for at the end of the day you want to see your name on that screen for the work that you've done because it inspires you it tells your family and your friends and your peers what you're doing you know what you're doing actually counts um and, and that's why i say like making things count because it's all about making things count you might be doing something but if you don't get credited for it you know it's lost in the crowd it's lost in the noise um so it's been a long journey to kind of you know for us being production partners to becoming the right producers and co-producers and now producing our own content um but uh but these are very important tags so i feel uh you know for me uh if i'm if i'm working alongside people who have a lot of stuff under their belt and are great storytellers i'm very happy to learn and i'm very happy to be a producer uh but if it's my story and i have a great vision and i know how this should look on screen then i want to direct it you know if i feel strongly about how this needs to be shaped and how this needs to come out then i want to be the person in control yeah <clears throat> so you said if it's my story then you know you want to have your vision so where does your story come from right so how do you decide on a topic so where do you start your research where does the idea begin sure so um you know i i feel like i've done so much work now anuj i've been doing this for about a, a decade and a half you know telling stories uh, whether as a journalist whether it's on radio i tried my hand at podcast as well i love podcasting by the way i think it's <laughs> such an incredible medium uh, and it's only just kicking off so i think great things that happen then it's a great way to tell stories uh, and you know talk to people and find inspiring stories um but um sorry what was your question <laughs> <laughs> where does the idea come from what's the there you go from? okay so my this is you know my like thinking so fast um my ideas basically stem from my experiences with people if i have a good conversation with somebody and i think wow that that is a story worth telling i'm like okay this is my next idea and like my brain works so fast so that any point in time i've got three ideas that i want to do and i'm yeah. trying to get one if one gets hit then i'm like this is everything i'm going to do now you know because then you want to sleep breathe drink party everything with that idea of yours and you're constantly thinking about how do i make this happen so it's funny you know when i was making caught out um i was so focused that even when i was in the operation theater delivering my babies i was talking about my film with my doctor and some great things came out of that because i found some great contacts and people to talk to and i was networking in the ot and my husband's like super what are you doing you know like you're just about to deliver your babies i'm like yeah, yeah, yeah but you know doc says she can introduce me to somebody it was it's funny but you're literally breathing that you know so uh, that's why i feel um anuj uh, you know i'm i'm we want to stay rooted to this craft of telling extraordinary stories of ordinary people because ordinary people are really really doing extraordinary things they need to be talked about uh you know you, there's so much inspiration around us when we have conversations like these we find so many people and you're like hey wow you're doing incredible stuff i have an idea that we can do together you know so that's really where i find my inspiration in real people in meeting people that are that are making their time on earth count uh that are making an impact that are making a difference and there are so many people doing it in so many different ways yeah no, no for sure and i your passion is truly like you're <laughs> out there talking like talking about your documentary while you're giving birth i am impressed given that you could even think of something else i think the pain itself would have been 
like quite overwhelming but um yeah overall yeah. The, the topics that you cover as well in your documentaries are quite serious and in like the dangerous territory whether it's like match yeah. fixing uh with caught out and corruption um in bad boy billionaires or um or uh the underworld in mumbai mafia um has there ever been like a scary or life-threatening encounter when you were like digging deep or was there anything that you were um or were you scared just to even like go into the depths of these serious topics while um yeah 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 there have been stories that i've done where uh you know um the agencies have been alerted uh and they're you know you find out they're around your hotel uh and you're obviously stressed because you you know you want to get your story out as a journalist that's what you want to do yeah. so without naming um instances or telling you more about where and how this happened um yeah uh, there was a story that i did it 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 was uh it was pretty much a no go story which a lot of people didn't want to touch and a lot of journalists didn't want to do for their safety concerns uh and a network came to me and said hey this is an interesting story and we'd like to tell it would you be interested in producing it um and i look at you know the work that i do i look at it as a as as a piece of work it's a you know it, it's my it's a job that i do on the line of duty and my responsibility is to report it in the most authentic efficient and honest way uh you know without kind of making up stories or 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 you know telling stories with a particular lens so it's really about finding things on the ground which is what interests me and that's why i dive into things because i'm not going into it with a set agenda and if um you know a, a network has an agenda i feel um then i'm not the right person to do it because i'm not going to fuel your agenda tell a story that i see on ground and that's what freelance i don't i i'm in, in in a situation where i don't have to tell the story and so you know i'm not reporting to the editor and saying yeah 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 you're right this is the story i can actually say to them actually this is not the story this is what i found on the ground and this is the interview that we can do and that's why you know i feel it's important for people like me to tell these stories because you're doing it in a very honest way without any premonitions without any tint uh and you can do it wholeheartedly with the intention of speaking the truth uh and you know if if you don't do it then you're just going to get different versions of a story that may not necessarily make sense may not be close to the truth and it is scary to do it it is scary because um you don't know sometimes you don't have control of how the story is going to be edited you don't know how it's going to come out um you know you're not always anchoring it till the end uh you pass it on to a post production team to take it on so those are concerns but uh on the personal safety front of course again for the family it's not really appetizing to do things on the mafia and constantly do things about the bad boy billionaires and go after people with power so it's a cause of concern it's a worry for the family as well but i know you know i know i follow very strong journalistic ethics um and and i hope that you know allows me to propel through all of this and 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 get by so you know that one episode that i had where we had to kind of run with our tapes just to make sure that that doesn't get it they you know our material doesn't get confiscated it was worrying because we jumped in the car and a journey which would have been sort of an hour and a half two hours on the plane we had to drive through different parts you know different cities and get back to base um just to be secure just to not be intercepted at the airport or be found out by somebody uh you know so we've done things like that but you do that you do that to get your story out um 
And especially when you're young and reckless, you do it a lot more, uh, you know? So I've had, I've had times when I've done that for stories. Um, and now, you know, it's just about being very diligent with your storytelling and fact-checking along the way to make sure you're only speaking the truth. Because if you don't, you're going to get pulled out. You know, it's so easy now when we made caught out, it's so easy to get rated or slated. So if we had anything wrong about any cricketer in that film or anything wrong about uh, any institution or how the CBI did something, we'd be pulled up by a gazillion people, you know, uh, and there would have been uh, a lot of noise to look after. But fortunately, we got through and people were happy with how we put it out. Yeah, no, definitely. Your experiences overall um, seem incredible. And also just like, I think you have such a carefree personality and I think it's so much needed for your job because if you were stressed about every little detail I don't think there would be interesting documentaries that were coming out from that but yeah. um, we have an interesting challenge for you next um, cool. called two lies and one truth so Anuj over to you so I think based on our conversation so far I can firstly feel your passion through through the screen itself um, but also there have been, you know, some great moments and some very scary moments for you. So I think this is the perfect game to play at this point. So the idea is it's called Two Lies, One Truth. You give us three statements from your journey so far. Um, it can be a challenge or an accomplishment. One of them has to be true. The other two are false statements. And then we have to guess which is the truth. All right. Okay. Wow. Interesting game, guys. Um, <laughs> okay. So one is uh, I am making a documentary on our prime minister. I um, um, the founder of a music festival. I, um, gosh, uh, the third one, I, don't like my move to Delhi. <laughs> as someone you know from the Mumbai, answer, I, would like, uh, I, would, I was going to say, as someone from Mumbai, I hope the third one is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um, where am I? Sorry, can you hear me? Hey, you can't Google mm. stuff, okay? <laughs> no, no, no. So I'm saying, I think, I don't know. The... Prime Minister thing. It would be tough to toe the line on that one. Um, so maybe not that. But uh, your face was, it, it seemed like you were speaking the truth when you said move, your move to Delhi. So I'm just going to go with that. <clears throat> that is the truth, that you didn't like your move to Delhi. Jami, what about you? Yeah, same. Really, guys? I'm, hey, listen, I'm a founder of a music festival. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, tell me you knew that. 
Because you know that's where the breaking uneven part comes in. <laughs> I didn't know that. Even I didn't know that. Okay, so I have a, I have another. Maybe maybe we should do another podcast about that. Because that's where I haven't broken even, and that's been an amazing <laughs> journey for me. You know, it's it's been one of the most gratifying things I've ever done in my life. Is organized a music festival in the middle of nowhere in Jaisalmer, and I still have hopes oh, wow. and dreams that I will do it again. Because, uh, you know, for me, um, I my my gosh, I'm ecstatic talking about this. For me, I went to Glastonbury. it's the mother okay, of all yeah. festivals and it blew yeah. my mind i was a student in the uk i was working at the bbc i knew a lot of friends who were dj's and i landed up at this festival and it really took my breath away because you had a 100,000 people singing the same song the vibe in that place was unbelievable you know and i still read of those moments i was just telling my husband about it yesterday is I can't wait to take my babies to. I've taken them to a lot of music gigs. They're barely 11 months old, but I strap them on and we go dancing. But um <laughs> I um can't wait to take them to a music festival with the earmuffs and camp with them because you know that place teaches you so much about community, about enjoying things together, about feeling one, uh you know about music transcending everything there is uh and just coming together of people it's the most unbelievable experience and um so i did a festival called rajasthan um uh, i have some partners in that festival and we did it out of nothing so we you know we, the festival comes up from scratch we put up some tents we make the most glorious stage we've put in so much money to make that happen <laughs> um but you know it, it's it's just the most amazing thing i've ever done and i've burnt my fingers so much at it and i've gone back said no i'll do it better and each time i've done it we've done it better we've had more people we've had uh less outgoings from our pocket uh but we've not broken even yet uh and um there's a dream there's a dream to make that happen and do it in the right way we don't charge people for water you can't get people to come to a desert and say hey give me 100 bucks for water <laughs> you know people live on that we we give you free flasks so that you can fill your flask and drink water and your chai and your alcohol in that so that you're not leaving plastic around uh you know we bring musicians from across the country and work with embassies to bring international musicians it's education you know it's about getting to a place and finding out about music you've never heard and meeting people that are from such different walks of life that it will it will wake you up you know you feel woke if that <laughs> if i can say it that way for the four days that you're there cuz you'll meet people that you would have never met otherwise and to me there's nothing better than creating a level playing field and bringing people from different walks of life together so so yeah, a very yeah. different vibe to the backstreet boys concert that i went to last night <laughs> yeah no it's so you know a part of me really wanted to go uh but i quit playing games with my heart now and uh, i just do the things i really love uh, i loved backstreet boys growing up um now no that you know it's not my thing but i think i would have still done it i would have done it for the nostalgia to live through all of that but i've got two babies it was entirely and... nostalgic it was entirely yeah. nostalgic they played yeah. about i'd say 25 to 30 songs entirely but wow, the have so crowd many? yeah exactly <laughs> but the crowd was only active for the five or six that we've been listening yeah. to for the last 20 years <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right uh yeah but you know i saw a video somewhere on instagram where at the hotel that they landed up in looked like the grand hyatt in mumbai to me uh the yeah. team did a backstreets back dance on the steps 
when they walked in. So it's quite nice to see. I think those guys must have been so happy that oh, somebody's listening to us, still listening to us. Oh, they are A class like performers. They were dancing on like every song they did. They weren't just like singing and moving around. Like they had like full performances done up, outfit changes, and all of those things. Oh, it was wow. quite. Wow. It was quite well done. I enjoyed oh, it. Yeah. Sounds grand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but they're also way out of our league, right? Like we don't have when you're a startup festival, you don't want to bring people that are already known. You you know the whole idea is about music discovery. And that's yeah. why Glastonbury for me was whoa because there were musicians that I'd never heard of from across the world. You know they have a world yeah. music stage and they bring musicians from everywhere and it's just it's unbelievable, guys. So it's nice to go to festivals that still uh, push live music because everywhere you go there's a lot of electronic music uh, and I'm guilty. <laughs> I love electronic music. My my daughter was only 11 months. The minute I put on some beat, she'll go like this, and I love that. <laughs> um, But you know, there's more to music than just beats, and you know, I think it's nice to go out to concerts. So, hopefully, we'll do another Rajasthan soon, and you guys will come out and see how we're struggling to break even. <laughs> oh, we would love to, but also we should definitely do another uh, podcast on that experience because I read a lot about your experience in terms of. um a journalist and creating documentaries but this is something that i did not like um read so we definitely need more of that um i'm glad it seems like yeah it seems like you're doing a lot with that and um yeah it'll be interesting to know like how you balance both of those as well because they're such different things even though it's yeah. like in the media industry like being a documentary is that a word someone is creating <laughs> documentary versus uh yeah uh someone that's started a music festival um you know but the funny thing is the funny thing is now that you're mentioning uh there's there's a side to me at Rajasthan where i want their money you know the big guys <laughs> and there's a side to me as a journalist where i'm like hey what did you do with that money you know so it's so funny um it's hard to get them to meet So I got to work doubly hard to get that money in for the festival. Uh, yeah, you're kind of hindering your own side and both. In that sense, way. in that sense, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it's been interesting, uh, you know. It's a, it, like you guys say, and I think the whole purpose of this podcast as well is learning on the go. Um, you know, it's it's not always about breaking uneven, like you guys say. It's about what you pick up and how you grow from that. And uh, yeah. you know, I feel like as long as their ideas, as long as you do things, uh, you're just going to keep growing. So um yeah thanks for um you know giving me this platform to talk about the the madness that comes with me uh and makes me <laughs> me uh, and it's always nice to be able to share that with people yes um so we have a rapid fire that's um the last part of our podcast um okay. again i'll just ask quick questions and then uh you can answer by uh answer in a couple of seconds So um the first one how many all nighters did you pull during uh, making got out Ah uh, gosh one too many man I I mean I was beating it <laughs> right like if I could if I'm talking got out in the operation theater when I'm delivering my twins you can imagine so one too many I'd say yeah uh, what is the scrappiest thing that you've done while making your documentaries Um the scrappiest things What do you mean? Um, in, so the most jogado way of things that you've done. Ah, uh, 
the most jugaru thing while making my film is, um, I mean, you know, production is all about jugar. I'm just trying to think. Uh, I'll tell you the most jugaru thing somebody else did uh, when I asked them to get us. Uh, you know, we were we were filming a sequence. This is really funny, so I'll share it with you. We were filming a sequence where I told our uh, art designer, I said, "Can you get me uh, some?" Um, face masks of Mama Azruddin, okay? Because, you know, we want to show that there's so many fans and you're at the stadium and people have these face masks on, right? You know what he came back with? He came back with COVID face masks with Azar on it. And I was like, no, I'm looking for a face mask, you know? And um, not really Jugadu, but we kind of had to burn that whole sequence down and not do anything with it. So we just had to scrap it because there's no way we could use COVID masks and say, hey, they're fans at the stadium. Um, I don't know if this counts, but uh, but yeah, I think this is a funny story from our caught out story. So, um, weirdest place that you've worked from? Uh, the weirdest place that I have worked from is uh, a bar uh, at a beach in um, Ibiza. After an all-nighter, uh, I landed up at the beach because uh, all my friends were asleep uh, and sunrise is beautiful. I'm a morning person, so I was like, I am not sleeping. So I went partied, I came back, I'm at the beach in the morning. I spent the whole day at the beach and these guys have woken up and they're coming at two o'clock and I'm still at the beach, you know, doing my thing <laughs> so, uh, and working. So that was probably the most weirdest place I worked from, Ibiza. Who works in Ibiza, right? <laughs> Um, emotion when you had your first Netflix documentary. Ah, emotion, you know, that blowing your head emoji. That's what happened to me because uh, my first Netflix, like my first, I did Chef's Table, it was great. I did Street Food Asia, it was great. But Bad Boy Billionaires was something else. And my head was exploding. I remember I was in Goa and I wanted to make it celebratory and have a big screening because my husband and I had taken a lovely villa and, you know, we were staying in that place for an, for a whole month. And so we were thinking about, I was thinking about having a party by the pool, big screen, and we find out it's all gone to court. So the film's not coming. The documentary series is not going to release. So really my head was exploding that day. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was, the adrenaline was crazy because I'd never encountered anything like this. I'd never known what it's like for a film to go to the courts and then you know, dealing with court cases. So yeah, my head was exploding, but it was really exciting, that release. Um, would you ever retire? No, never, no man. There's a lot to do. There's amazing stories to tell. There's amazing people to meet. Uh, you know, if I can't do it on camera, I'm gonna do it from home. I'm just gonna take my phone and record people, but I am going to tell stories because there's a story in every nook and corner right in front of me. You know, it's a story. If I wanna find out a story, there is one right here. Um, your favorite part of making documentaries? Uh, my favorite part of making documentaries is getting to know people. Getting your to know people. My least favorite part? My least favorite part of documentary is uh, um, the, the anxiety, dealing with the anxiety before it's going to release. Because all you want to make sure is that it's not going to go to court and it will release. So that wait till it drops is my least favorite part. <laughs> uh, books or podcasts? Podcasts, hands down for me. 
uh, iPad or notebook? A notebook for sure. Here I have my notebook right here. <laughs> uh, you've already answered this, but morning person or night person? Morning and how? Wake me up uh, whatever time favorite... you want. Don't ask me to stay up. <laughs> uh, favorite social media platform? Favorite social media platform has to be Instagram. There's so much you find out that you don't know. Yeah. yeah. For me, yeah, Instagram. Fair enough. Um, so that concludes our rapid fire segment and bringing us to the end of the podcast. But um, before we end, we have a thing where we ask our previous guest a question. We ask our previous guest to ask our next guest a question. And um, so we first ask you their question and then you can ask our next guest a question. So um, sure. your question is... What did you enjoy most about this podcast? Talking to you guys, um, you know, reliving my feelings and emotions, uh, which doesn't happen often. You don't often tell people about your journey and how you feel doing the things that you do. Uh, and I think it's sort of, in a way, introspective as well. So it's, I felt like it was a conversation with myself. So it was so nice and easy and flowy to speak with you guys. Um, and just felt like a nice, engaging session, right? So when you throw something back at me, I'm thinking about it. And who has the time to do that when you're on your own? You're just running the rat race. So I feel like it's nice to be able to pause with something like this uh, and think about what you're actually doing and where you're headed with it. That's, that's really sweet. Um, and your second question was... What was your last work task you cheated on with AI? Wow, okay. Uh, I mean, I'm not very AI friendly but AI is everywhere right so I would say uh, I mean just finding people on LinkedIn I don't know if that's <laughs> cheating but you know you look for somebody and then you find someone else so I'm like hey I was like, you killed too much with one stone thanks for recommending <laughs> AI did that for me so you know I'm looking for a certain kind of person and now you're throwing up more so I'll take it does that count fair enough um <clears throat> innovative answer we were expecting something like oh i wrote i told chat gpt to write an email or something for me that is very interesting yeah no no man i'm not there yet and i'm not gonna let them take over my emotion no chance <laughs> i have a big problem with that yeah what, what would you guys say to that what would you guys say what, what's the last thing that you did in that sense I'm similar to you, to be fair. I don't use like chat GPT that much or like AI overall. I mean, I did try, um, like we wanted to make a reel for breaking uneven. So I did try to like, be like, please give me three things that I could say in this topic. And it was not very helpful. So I did that. Ah, hey, it's good to know it fails. Ha ha. <laughs> so the last thing I in fact use AI for, um, and the interesting part, now that I'm remembering this, is part of the answer that Chat GPT gave me was Bad Boy Billionaires because I asked Chat GPT for a list of Indian documentaries in in a that are about I mean you know it could, that are personality focused. That's what I'd asked Chat GPT for because I mean I'm working on a, a property for the homegrown brands of India. So, oh. yeah, I think that was the last. Because I, I, if I ever use it, I use it as a search engine, not as a like, yeah. writing an email kind of thing. 
yeah but hey guys i mean ai is everywhere right like google's functioning on there's an element of ai yeah, yeah, to yeah. everything that we're doing these days instagram for that matter you know it's funny when i was prego with twins and i just i don't know i i would talk to my husband about something and the next thing you know everybody in the household yeah. is getting all these you know things about maternity and whatever and shop this and that you know it's just yeah. it's everywhere yes. so hmm i saw this reel where like it confirms that your phone's listening to you so it's like to like not let it off or not to get like personalized ads on like instagram and things like that you need to turn off like your mic from like instagram yeah. turn off this from that yeah. and like stop personalized yeah. ads so Man, and it's i don't possible. think it's a conspiracy Yeah, it's not possible to do that. I I switched off Siri because everyone said Siri's listening. But it's so inconvenient. Only I could just be like Siri call my mom, you know? Yeah. So they've made it so convenient to do so many things that you're hooked and you're like, okay, what is better of the two? Do I want that convenience or do I want my privacy? And then what privacy, right? Because I'm losing out on Siri, but Instagram's taking everything anyway. I can't go switch off everything every time. So Yeah. Like, you know, I I've actually come to welcome the lack of privacy because, for me, for example, if I am, I don't know, looking to buy a chair for my house, let's say yeah. a study study table armchair or something, I just go and do one Google search, and then yeah. I let I I don't even like really browse, so I just let it be because I know for the next week I'm gonna get Instagram ads of companies yeah. that are selling that, and I'm like that's good yeah. enough for me. Like it becomes part of my feed then. But Anuj. imagine making a bad boy billionaire and not having privacy think just think about it just think about it that is a very different <laughs> and scary context just think about it it just think about just think yeah. about putting photos on instagram about where you are and then being like oh shit i don't want anyone yeah. to find out where i am so yeah, yeah. it's i don't know you know it's <laughs> a lot of gray but let's you know it, it's how you make everything count and uh I mean I just feel like if you live with fear you'll get nothing done. Um yeah. And every step of the way. So let's just keep doing and let's de- just deal with what happens. <laughs> That's such a I know like a lot of people say that but like I think it's so, so important to be reminded that as well. Like if you live with fear you're not going to do anything. You're like I feel like sometimes anything. I forget that and like it's nice to get that reminder. No but thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure um speaking with you and learn so much about your journey and there's so much more to learn I feel like so would definitely like to have you back and discuss more about the music festival. Um, I'd love to share I'd love to share whenever. Thank you guys. Lovely to speak and uh yeah, let's talk again soon. Good luck with what you're doing and getting to know people and please find some extraordinary stories of ordinary people <laughs> so that we can, you know, make it count. <laughs>